Amen. You have your Bible tonight. We're going to be moving to different places, but to start, turn to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be moving to different places because tonight I want to begin a series with you on what I have entitled The Essentials of the Christian Life. Things that are necessary, things that are critical, things that are important, that should be a part of all of our lives as followers of Christ. And so we're going to touch on different topics throughout the weeks as we consider these things. And tonight's message is going to be on the issue of sharing the gospel, the issue of evangelism. I think this is appropriate as we begin a new year. This is the first Sunday that we have met together of the year 2018. And one of the things I want to challenge us all about is sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to people throughout this year. As I've said to you before, we can worship God better, obviously, in heaven. We can work and serve the Lord better in heaven. But the one thing that we can do here is witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, again, I wanted to remind us that the biblical measurement for our evangelism is faithfulness. And I bring that to your attention as we get started tonight because if you want to evaluate your evangelism personally for this past year, the question you need to ask yourself is this. Was I faithful to share the gospel with other people throughout the year 2017? Did I tell people about Jesus? And another aspect of that is, was I faithful to pray for others who are in need of Christ? That's how you need to evaluate it. And that's how I want you to evaluate it for this upcoming year. And I want to encourage you to be faithful to tell people the good news of salvation in Christ. And, and just to help you to understand that, why we don't want to evaluate it in other ways, and just by, but only by faithfulness as we think about that, is because let's just look at the life of Jesus for a moment. If you remember Jesus, when he came back to his hometown in Nazareth, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 14, he goes to his hometown synagogue. In his hometown synagogue, he... They have the reading of the scriptures, and the scriptures are read, and after they read the scriptures, Jesus begins to explain to them that actually what they just read is now being fulfilled in their presence, because he's there. And what's interesting to see that sermon is how at the beginning of that sermon, everybody was speaking well of Jesus. I mean, they're amazed at Jesus. But before he gets to the end of that sermon... They are all enraged at him. So much so that they were unanimous as a synagogue and and saying, we need to take him and throw him over the cliff. We need to kill him. Now, I think about another opportunity that Jesus had. He comes into an area. There is a man that has been demon-possessed by uh, a whole lot of demons called legion. And Jesus began to have a conversation with the the head demon that is there. 
And Jesus ends up casting out all of those demons that were in this man that had caused this man to have such misery. I mean, this is a man that spent his time in graveyards screaming, yelling, just in agony. And Jesus comes along and Jesus delivers this man. And if you recall when he delivered him and the demons went out of the the man and he goes into this herd of swine and they go and jump off into the water and the report gets out about Jesus and they begin to hear what happened. Do you remember their response? You would have thought they would have said, man, this is amazing. Look at what this man did. Jesus that came on the area. There was a man that was in torture. A man that was just miserable all his life. And Jesus now has, has delivered this man. But instead, what they do, they're begging Jesus, get out of our town. Get out of here. We don't want you here. Please leave. But then you come to the area of Samaria in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, where Jesus first meets a woman at the well and she comes to know who he is. And she goes and tells the other people in town and the town comes out to Jesus and Jesus starts sharing the good news with them as well. And guess what? They all begin to believe in him as well. So much so, they're begging him to stay. Stay, we want you to stay with us. And he stayed with them for two more days and then he left because he had a mission to go about proclaiming the good news in other areas as well. And I bring that to your attention, beloved, because when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth and when he was in that other area where he cast out that demon, he was just as faithful to the truth there as he was in Samaria. He wasn't a failure back in his hometown synagogue. He was successful in that he was faithful to the truth and to the gospel that he was preaching to them. They just didn't receive it. Go back and look at the other examples Remember, Jesus had a rich young ruler that comes running out to him, begging him and asking him the right question, what must I do to have eternal life? This man is someone who knows something's missing, something's not right in his life. And he comes asking Jesus that, and Jesus has an evangelistic conversation with him. And in that conversation, what's the result? This man walks away from the gospel. He walks away from Jesus. He walks away from eternal life. And yet when we see over in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul, a Philippian jailer comes into Paul basically begging him the same thing. What is it that I must do? What is it I must do to be saved? Paul says, you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and not only will you be saved, but I'm telling you, your household will be saved. And that man believed and his household believed. Paul was no more successful than Jesus was with that rich young ruler. They were both faithful to the gospel message. I think about Jesus in the gospel of John in John chapter 6 where he has thousands of people that are following him around. And they're following him around and he eventually turns to them and he begins to talk to them. And as he begins to talk to them, as he carries on more and more in this conversation with them, teaching them that when he gets to the end of his message, the end of his lesson, nearly every single one of them had walked away except for really the twelve. And one of those twelve we know was Judas who wasn't really a true follower of Jesus. He went from thousands to basically eleven true believers that were there following him. It wasn't because of Jesus. Jesus was still faithful. 
He was just as faithful as Peter was on the day of Pentecost when he stood up there and preached Jesus Christ to them and thousands got saved. Beloved, I just draw this back to you because as you prepare to enter this year to proclaim the gospel, what I want you to think about is, am I being faithful? Was I faithful this past year? And can I be more faithful this upcoming year? Can I just be faithful to announce the good news of salvation to others? Can I be faithful to pray for the salvation of others? Remember that proclamation and that praying. Trusting in the scriptures and the spirit of God to bring about the salvation of those that we so desire to see come to Christ. Beloved, this is an essential of the Christian life. And clearly Jesus has given us the mission to go out and to make disciples. To go out and tell people the good news of salvation. We are to be as the angels were on the day of the birth of Christ. To go and to shout to the world. There is good news of great joy. There is a Savior who has been born. But we know he's not just been born. He has come and he's lived and he's lived without sin. And he's gone to a cross where he died on that cross for our sins. And God raised him from the dead. And there is victory over sin. There's victory over death. There's victory in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And we can go and declare that to the world. And let them know that there's victory for them. There is forgiveness. There is life eternal with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, as we prepare to do that, let me just give you some encouragements and some reminders. And the first one I want us to see in a little phrase here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. And what I want you to be reminded of as you go out to share the gospel, I want you to be reminded of the person who owns this message. The person who owns this message. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. But notice what Paul says. This is God's gospel. It's his message. It's his good news. He's the one who promised it beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That is, he is the one who had it delivered in written form even in the Old Testament. He is the one who sent his son to this world. He is the one who had it written down in the four Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the epistles, even in the book of Revelation. Beloved, it is God's message. It is God's gospel. It's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. You see, that's why we don't get to go out and say, I'm going to go tell people my gospel. No, it's not my gospel. I don't get to make up the message. You don't get to make up the message. God has already given us the message. It is his news to announce to the world. And he has announced it to the world through his son. He's announced it to the world through his written word. And beloved, just as he has set Paul apart, he has set us apart as his children to be ambassadors for him to go and to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. We are his ambassadors. We go out and deliver his message. And so, beloved, 
God is the author of the gospel. Thus, it is exactly what people need to hear. We can't improve upon it. And there's a temptation, I think, at times in all of our hearts to want to sometimes maybe skip some parts of the gospel. Maybe just shift it a little bit. Soften it sometimes. Because we think if we do that, somehow we'll, we'll get a, a better response from people. That they'll be more willing to, to maybe even hear it. But beloved, just remember what Paul says here. He was set apart for God's gospel, for God's message. It's his message. It's not ours to change. It is God's. He's the one who owns this message. Notice something else I want you to think about as you go out to proclaim the gospel this year. And if you let this one sink in, it ought to excite you. And it ought to not just excite you, it ought to move you to want to go out and just tell people about Jesus. It's not just the person who owns this gospel, but I want you to think about also and be reminded of the power, the power of this gospel. That is the ability of this gospel. Notice what Paul says. Go down to uh, verse 14 of Romans 1. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Which means there, Paul is basically saying there, I'm not going to leave anybody out. No one is left out. He feels an obligation to share the gospel with everyone. In fact, he says in verse 15, so for my part, I'm eager. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who in Rome. Why does Paul have this eagerness this eagerness to get the gospel message there, to preach the gospel to them because of what he says in verse 16. Because he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's in this gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Paul here is saying something that's very critical, that the power, the power to convert sinners, to save a soul, is not in the messenger. It's not even how well you can speak it, even how well you can explain the gospel. The power is in the gospel itself. It's in the gospel. Look with me just for a moment. Go over to 1 Thessalonians for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians. And look. Notice what he says. We'll just pick it up in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel, notice what he says in verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. He says, when we came and delivered the gospel to you, when I went there and I was there with you in Thessalonica and I was sharing the gospel with you for those few weeks that I was there, I was doing that knowing there was power in the gospel by the demonstration of the Spirit of God and with full conviction. Notice what he goes on to say over in verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for that for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Notice who or what it is that's performing the work in their life. It's the word of God. That's what performs the work. You see, so the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God... Look with me for just a moment over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll pick it up in pick it up in verse 17, but be recall part of the issue here is that there was these quarrels in the church at Corinth because some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And, and some were saying, well, I was baptized by him. I was baptized by the other person. And Paul just says, look, verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize. Now again, he's not saying baptism wasn't important. He's not saying baptism wasn't an ordinance of the church. It is. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you genuinely know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you need to walk in obedience to the Lord and you need to be baptized. That is your public profession of faith. And that is something that you would need to do by immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul's not denying that when he says, God didn't send me to baptize. But what he is saying is baptism has nothing to do with a person being saved, with a person genuinely being born again. Because God didn't send me to do that. God sent him, he says there in verse 17, to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross, verse 18, is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, there's that phrase again, it's the power of God. It is the power of God. Now, I want that to sink in for us a little bit. If we really think about the ramifications of this truth, that the gospel, the word of God, is carrying with it the power of God. The power of God. Just think about that. You are carrying with you. You have the opportunity to carry with you everywhere you go. To share with people. To tell people. To share with them something that can change their life. Change their life for all eternity the way it did for the thief on the cross. Change their life. 
change their family as it did for the Philippian jailer that when he came to know Christ, he brought Paul to his house and Paul shared the gospel with his whole household. And guess what? His whole household who could understand the gospel got saved. The same way that Lydia got saved. And guess what? Her whole household got saved. This message transformed their families. It transformed the community of Nineveh with, through the prophet Jonah as we spoke about last week who went through the city proclaiming, repent, repent, repent. And the whole community, the whole city there of Nineveh repented of their sins. It wasn't Jonah. It wasn't Paul. It was the gospel. It was the message. It was the word of God because it is the power of God and it is the one, the thing that's going to work in their hearts. So, beloved, that means you have the privilege of delivering this message, unleashing this power, letting it go, and let God do His work. You're just the instrument. I'm just the instrument in the hand of God to deliver the message. But just think about that. Beloved, what that means is there's there's a variety of, of venues and ways in which... Just think about... Just a reminder of that, it's, it's not, it's not this, that, that we have to get somebody here to church for them to get saved. Think about how, how and where people got saved. I mean, the Apostle Paul got saved just walking down the road to Damascus. He was just traveling, and he got saved. I think about a man by the name of Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. He got saved on the job. He was at his job, doing his job as a tax collector. Jesus walked by and said to him, follow me, and his life was changed forever. We see people getting saved in the streets. We see people getting saved in their homes. We see people getting saved on a cross. The thief on the cross. Just a reminder, it's not the the environment that's going to save them, beloved. It's the word of God. I mean, just think about that. Think about that setting, the cross. I mean, this is a man who is just suffering. He's on the brink of death. This is a man that just moments before his salvation, as I've shared with you before, that actually was cursing Jesus, cursing him with his own lips. This is a man that's hearing all the insults come up about Jesus. But it's amazing that in the midst of all those insults, and this again should remind you of the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God. This man hanging on a cross is hearing people down below him saying things about Jesus and some of the things they're saying about him are true. Now they don't believe it. They're saying out of mockery to him. They're mocking Jesus. If you're the son of God, then come down from there. If you can rebuild this, then come down from here. They're saying all these things about Jesus that were true. And this man that's sitting there cursing him to his face is listening to this. And then he begins to realize, oh my, it's true. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the promised one. And that was from the gospel message that he heard, beloved. That's the power of the gospel. The ability of this gospel. And you have access to that. You have access to that. To share that. 
Same news, to be an ambassador for Christ. Let that motivate you to share it. But now as you go out to share it, let me remind you again, because if, if, if I don't remind you of this and you're thinking about this, okay, this is the power of the gospel and, and so if I just go out and share it, I should just be seeing the first person I share the gospel with, they just ought to get saved right there. And the next person. Well, let me again remind you of something as you go out. And I remind you of this to motivate you to keep sharing it. Keep persevering. Keep on telling people about Jesus. Keep on praying for people's salvation. I call this the production from the gospel. What the gospel produces. How it can have an effect on people. So just think about where we are here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what he says. Verse 18, he has two groups of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. For those who are perishing, this same message, the word of the cross, this is the gospel, it's the same message, it's delivered to this crowd. And in this crowd, there are people who are going to be perishing and there's people who are being saved by it, by the power of God. So for some, they're going to hear that message when you go and share it with them and they're going to say, this is foolishness. This is moronic. There's no way I would believe this. There's no way that I would accept this. That's why he goes on to say in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased. Now notice this, God is well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Take that, take that verse with you. Take that statement with you. God is well pleased through the foolishness of my sharing of the gospel. He's well pleased with that. He's well pleased to save those who believe. For indeed, verse 22, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, this is a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, this is foolishness. Notice what he's saying here. Amongst those who are perishing, amongst this group of those who are perishing, they are divided up into two groups as well. The Jews that are seeking a sign and they hear about Jesus being crucified and they stumble over that. Or the Greeks that think this is foolishness and who are searching for wisdom from the wisdom of the world. But Paul says, I know that's what they're searching for. I know that's what they're looking for. I know what the Jews are looking for. I know what the Greeks are listening for. I know what they want to hear. I know what they want to see. But guess what? I'm just going to keep preaching Christ crucified because I know as I do that in the power of the gospel, God will begin to call people out. Call them out to himself. They'll begin to believe and believe upon Christ. Notice in verse 24, but to those who are the called were the Jews and Greeks. That's from the same two groups. The Jews that are seeking signs, from some of them, they're going to be saved. From the Greeks that are searching for wisdom, there's some of them that are going to be saved. Because the power of God and the wisdom of God, God is doing this. Well, but I remind you of this. And remind you of what Paul says, and we, we talked briefly about this on a Wednesday night. 
But go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is really a vivid picture that's given. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph, triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. He's saying, I'm thanking God that God leads us in triumph in that wherever we go, as we're sharing the gospel and we live our life for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are actually, God is using that like he would a bottle of perfume to spray up into the air. And he's saying in every place that we go, what, what's happening is that we are this sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are, he says in verse 15, a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Notice, it's the same fragrance to the two different groups. The same two groups we saw back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who are believing and those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Here he says, this fragrance of Christ to God is among those who are being saved, and it's among those who are perishing. To the one, obviously, that is to the ones who are perishing, that aroma, that fragrance of Christ, that sweet aroma, he talks about in verse 14, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God, of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sweet aroma is from death to death. But to the other, that is to those who are being saved by it, it is an aroma from life to life. You see, God just wants us to go out and be that aroma. And as you're that aroma, you just need to understand that to some people, you're going to smell like death to them. Those who are perishing, that is those who don't really want to have anything to do with it. They hear it and they just don't want to have anything to do with it. You're going to smell like death to them. It, the way I picture this, it's like if... if if you and I, if we come up on a dead animal on the side of the road, we want to get as far away from it as we can because it's been there for several days. I mean, because it just stinks. It just stinks. But to the buzzers up in the sky, that is a sweet looking piece of meat. And they want it. You see, to us, we are the, the dead carcass to those who are perishing. And that's what we smell like to them. And they're, as they're breathing in this world, as they're living by this world. Beloved, let me just remind you of this. That as you go and proclaim the gospel, it will be just like it was with Jesus. There will be those like the, in, the, in his hometown of Nazareth that will push you away. But there'll be those like in Samaria that will beg you, stay. I want to hear more. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know more about him. 
I want to know Him as my Savior and Lord. And now that I know Him as my Savior and Lord, I, I just want to know more about Him. I want to know the Word of God. Let me just close, close it with this. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The church at Corinth is living by their flesh. Verse 4, because when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Just servants. Servants to whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Verse 6, I planted, this is Paul speaking, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. God is the one who will cause the growth. You don't know. You might just be the one that when you're sharing the gospel with someone and you're praying for that someone, you might be the one that's just doing the planning. You're just planting the gospel seed and you just keep doing that and you keep praying for them and you keep talking with them and it may be someone else that comes along after that that shares the gospel with them and talks to them some more about Jesus and they start watering that seed that you've planted there. But ultimately, beloved, God is the one that's going to bring about that increase. That's in God's hands. That's between that person and God. So just go out and be faithful to plant, faithful to water. You don't know when you come on the scene, the seed may have already been planted and God just wants to now bring you in to do the watering. And as you do the water, here it comes, God brings life. And this person believes upon Christ and they come to know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. You're going to have some that may sneer at you as they did the Apostle Paul when he came to the end of his message in Acts chapter 17 where he had been sharing the gospel with them, calling them to repentance. And it says some of them sneered at him. Some of them said, you know what? We're pretty curious about what all you had to say. We'll hear you another time. And some of them, there on the spot, believed. And I'll tell you, if you go out and share the gospel, you're going to probably get all three responses at some point in your life. Some are going to sneer at you. And I mean, they're going to be hostile. And some are going to say... That sounds, I'm not necessarily hostile to that. I I might want to hear that a little more. And some will believe. They will believe upon Christ. So I say that to, to remind you, just to encourage you to stay faithful. Okay, stay faithful. If you're being faithful to the word of God, you're being faithful to the gospel, and you're going out and using those means and methods, and you're, you're declaring that, that the message that God has, and you're proclaiming that truth, and you're trusting in God to do that work in their heart, and you're pleading with them to come to Christ, and you're, you're, you're praying for them. Beloved, that's where God at that point leaves it with you. That, that's it. Okay, you've been faithful to do and are doing what God has called you to do. So when that person sneers at you and gets hostile with you, don't let that shut you down. You keep praying for them, but when the next opportunity presents itself, share the gospel again. Just keep sharing it. 
You say, well, what if I keep sharing it? And I keep sharing it. And I just don't see people coming to Christ. Beloved, there are missionaries that have been out on the field that went seven years before they saw the first convert. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. Why? Because the people would not turn for years upon years upon years if they're proclaiming the truth to them and they wouldn't listen to him. But he just kept staying faithful. Can you imagine whenever God went to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I'm going to raise you up to be a prophet for, to me, to go speak to my people. And oh, by the way, let me go ahead and tell you, they're going to be obstinate. They are going to be hard-hearted. They are not going to listen to anything you have to say. Thanks, God. That's, that's the ministry I was hoping I was called to. No, but he just said, God just said, go be faithful. He told him, go be faithful. But he told him also, he says, but if you're not faithful, then he said, their bloods then will be on your hands. But if you're faithful, just go be faithful. That's what he called, just go be faithful. Go proclaim the gospel to them. That's all God asks us to do. And and I say that proclaiming the gospel. I mean, you go out and share the gospel and you share it with passion and you plead with people to come to Christ and you point them to Jesus and and you need to be, let them know just how serious this is. And here's the ultimate application to all this. It's very straightforward. Just be faithful. Be faithful to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Be faithful to pray for others and their salvation and just trust God. Now, to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ, for you to be faithful to do that, you may need to go and really spend some time studying the gospel. You might need to get some gospel tracts that you can hand out. You need to probably become more sensitive to listening to people around you looking for opportunities to share the gospel. You need to pray and pray for those that are around you and pray for their salvation. Let people know they're in need of Christ and that they know Him as their Savior and as their Lord. And don't stop. Even that person, and listen carefully, even that person who may laugh in your face, who may shut the door in your face, who may get up from the conversation and walk out. Even that person, beloved, if you have been able to faithfully share with them the truth and the gospel, remember, you've planted a seed, and guess what? There's power in that. There's power in the gospel. And you don't know that some 30 years later in their life, they may be on their deathbed, and they may be like the thief on the cross, that they're basically on their deathbed and somebody else may come in and share the gospel with them again. And God uses that and what you share with them to bring them to salvation. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. But also, I might need for us to be reminded, let's start, let's start, let's start. It's not let's stop or don't stop, let's get started. And let's share the gospel and cry out to God. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.
As you do, I want to ask you, as you're there with the Lord, to evaluate how faithful you've been. And I want you just where you are with the Lord to, if you need to confess that before Him, to confess it. And ask Him to help you to be more faithful. And as you ask Him to help you to be more faithful, if there's something that you say, well, I don't know that I feel clear about proclaiming the gospel to people, then ask God to help you to, to study it. Get some good resources that will help you with that. Father, as we bow before you this evening, Lord, I pray that not only we've been convicted, but we've been encouraged to be faithful, to be faithful to to share the gospel, to be faithful to pray for those who are in need of Christ. Lord, help us by your grace to just walk in obedience to you throughout this year. Lord, we do pray to see people coming to Christ. We just want to see your name honored, your name glorified through the salvation of sinners. Lord, just help us by your grace to be faithful. Help us to persevere for those who may struggle with that, that have faced some rejection, disappointment, to just keep Proclaiming. But Lord, help us if we need you even just to get started. Lord, help us by your grace. Lord, we, we need you. We know you've left us here to, to do this. And help us to be faithful to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close with a word of prayer. I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday night.